0: torahcafe.com i'm like in 2022 do you think i'm just some opinionless object in all of this like really like do you you really think like i have no i have no say in the matter
1: hi we're the viglers i'm rabbi david and this is my wife hannah And we are the directors of the of Palm Beach Gardens in Florida. Whenever people ask us about orthodoxy, I always say that I don't even know what orthodox means. It's almost like the big X. Them and us. The way we like to call it is not orthodox, but observant. You see, every Jew is obligated in the fulfillment of the 613 commandments. Some of us do a little more, some of us do a little less. Whereas orthodoxy might separate us from each other. Observance is a word that unites us because every single Jew is observant of some mitzvah on some level. Whether it's only having a bris, whether it's fasting in Yom Kippur for a few minutes or a few hours, or the entirety of the fast, Every single Jew is observant of some mitzvah. Thus, observance is a word that unites us. Orthodox is a word that divides us. We go for observant. One of the most common culture clashes that people experience when encountering us as observant Jews is our reluctance to make physical contact with the opposite gender. We don't shake hands with, I wouldn't shake hands with women, my wife wouldn't touch another man. And people wonder why it seems extreme it seems outlandish it seems archaic it seems primitive there's actually a very beautiful and meaningful reason for it because we believe that good fences make good neighbors you can't just touch and hug and kiss every other person there's a there's a latent sexuality
0: the sensitivity i would say right
1: yeah even when it comes to the laws of family purity with one's own spouse We have laws about when we're allowed to touch and when we're not allowed to touch. What happens is that it's not just that God is controlling us, as much as it infuses joy and excitement and anticipation into the most intimate parts of our lives.
0: I actually find that when people understand better as to why we behave the way we do and do things the way we do, they actually think it's pretty cool. And they say, oh, you know what, I wouldn't mind actually if my husband didn't Kiss everybody, every woman that he bumped into just for saying hello or, you know, if there were a little bit more, um, boundaries set up between the genders. And in general, I think it does create more of a nuanced sensitivity. I think that society in general has really lost this, this certain touch, if you want, or the, this, the sense of touch, really, because we've just kind of like, perverted it almost, where it's just everybody can touch everybody, which is so interesting as to what really happened now in the pandemic, where um, everybody is kind of- is, is Is not, everybody's being so careful with this- No touching. No touching thing.
1: When something's precious, it's kept in a safe place. It's not touched and handled all of the time. It's kept in a precious place. And therefore, human sexuality is one of our most precious precious gifts, God-given gifts. So when we're able to reserve that for our chosen loved ones, then it becomes special. But if it's something that we encounter with every other human being that we, that, we, that we touch, we're mitigating our own sensitivity and we're not able to appreciate it. You know the Hebrew word for marriage is the same word as holy. When something is holy, it's sacred, it's precious, it's designated. Marriage is also, it's precious. It's holy, it's designated, it's reserved. It's supposed to be something which is kept behind closed doors, something which is supposed to be intimate because if it's out in the open, if it's with everybody, then it's no longer intimate. It's no longer special.
0: (laughs) I don't know what physical
1: intimacy before marriage even means. It seems to me an oxymoron. Could you possibly be intimate before the commitment of marriage? can you really experience the this the, the the beauty of intimacy if you don't have the commitment of marriage isn't that an oxymoron
0: i think that that's the struggle that a lot of young people will find is that they jump the gun and will have a physical relationship with each other but they don't realize that they are lacking the that that commitment you think it's just people will say oh it's just a paper it's just a word it's just but it's actually so much more it's a whole Mind frame that you're in. Once you're committed to a person, everything changes. And and like you say, of course, there's a certain intimacy that can't exist without that commitment. Um, but in addition, um, and more to the more to your question, is that I do think that it can destroy a relationship. I do because what happens is that once uh, you have the physical part of the relationship. Your mind gets blurred, and you don't actually see things as clearly as you wouldn't, as you would without that part of the relationship. And all of a sudden, things that would be really important to you in a relationship, all of a sudden, you're just kind of not looking at them so much, not really um, giving them the importance that they need. Because once you're you're you have this um, that next level of a relationship with a person, it's harder to really. To, to see it the way you would otherwise. I think it
1: depends on if you're having sex or making love. Because if it's about oneself, then maybe you could do it before marriage. But if it's about making love to a person that you love, that you're devoted to, that you're committed to, doing that without the commitment of your entire being, your total devotion through marriage is, is just a paradox and giving a partial sense of self. It's not really making love.
0: Would you agree? Absolutely. Our society has this concept that first comes love and then comes marriage. And really, um, I think in, in, in terms of what you were saying, your point of commitment, that really there's no way to truly you think you love them and then you get married and then you realize that, whoa, like this was, this is a whole new person. This is a whole new reality. It's a whole new thing. Even people that were dating for five years or I don't know how long and then they get married and all of a sudden like the whole dynamic changes and all of a sudden they get divorced six months later because, you know, it wasn't quite what they thought it was because what they thought was love isn't love. Love really is a commitment to somebody. It's that unconditional commitment and really i think the jewish view is that first comes marriage and then comes love first comes that commitment to one another and once you know this person is mine and this and i am theirs you it's just a whole different mindset and you can actually let yourself go a little bit more you can actually love easier you can let yourself be loved easier because if you're in this Um, in this limbo state where you're not actually sure if this person is going to be here tomorrow, Um, you don't know what's going to be, it's it's actually hard to allow yourself to be in a proper relationship and to actually love freely.
1: You know, the Torah is not just a book of history. It's our life guide. It's our soul's GPS through our lives. So the first time that the Torah tells us about love is when Yitzchak, Isaac, falls in love with his wife Rivka it says first he took her into his home mm. and then he loved her love comes after commitment of marriage and if you're going to have sex before you're truly in love before you're truly committed then you're just being selfish so i think when it comes to da- i'm sorry when it comes to dating and the serial dating i think that we have to be honest with ourselves and realize that just like i'm imperfect the person i'm marrying is also going to be imperfect and we're gonna figure it out together. So you gotta figure out, you gotta ask yourselves, yourself, what is it that I can't handle? There's certain personality disorders, certain, you know, certain behaviors that maybe you can't handle, and that's okay to have on your checklist. But I know for myself, the most important part for me was a good heart. There's nothing more important to marry a good heart. I wasn't looking to marry a professor. I wasn't looking to marry a neat freak. I wasn't looking to marry somebody who's Uh, an entrepreneur, the next uh, Amazon uh, uh, entrepreneur. I was looking to marry a wife, a beautiful person with a golden heart, and I found her. I definitely think that you can marry the wrong person. What do you think?
0: I think that there's no excuse for abuse, any type of abuse. And as long as there is abuse, then yes, they were the wrong person. But if there's anything else, I think if you were able to fall in love in the first place, then you can always find it again. You know, there's always things that we go through that make it a struggle, that make it difficult. Um, but I think that today it's become way too easy. Our, our marriages have become way too dispensable. It's like, okay, it worked for this amount of years, but now, oh, we just hit a, hit a tough spot. Okay, that's it. I could find somebody better. Um, which unfortunately is not usually the case from what I've seen. You know, it's not that easy to find somebody better. And if your spouse was a good person the day you met them, chances are they probably still are. And also going through a challenging spot just like you are. And again, as long as it wasn't any form of abuse, which that can, is definitely not acceptable or tolerated. Um, I think everything could be worked through. Everything could be sorted out.
1: Of course, divorces has to be an option. The Torah tells us explicitly, so it's a mitzvah to get divorced when when necessary. But we've also got to give marriage a chance, allow your heart to flow. And it's very important to understand that marrying is a lot like having a child. When you have a child, you don't get a chance really to pick too much you got to go with what you've got with what you've been given, and you've got to realize that it takes three to have a child, mother, father, and God and whatever you've got you take and you make it work to the best of your ability. I think marriage is the same thing that you recognize that it, that God's involvement is vital when God is involved in the relationship in the Hebrew lettering of the word man and woman in Hebrew, God is inter interwoven into the very name of man and woman in Hebrew, as long as God is present in the relationship, there's the pathway to success. But once God is expelled from the relationship, then the path is fraught with danger. I think that it's important to incorporate faith into your relationship, into your shlom bayit, into your peace of the home, because when both partners are committed to a higher shared common goal when there's spirituality shared between them, then they're able to experience more of a an intimate bond between them between each other as well. And it doesn't matter if you were raised religious or not. It doesn't matter if you were if you entered into your uh, relationship in a wholesome and healthy manner or in a different kind of manner. It Doesn't matter if you met your your soulmate in a synagogue or in a bar on a beach or somewhere else, it makes no difference. You're soulmates, and as long as you can recognize the fact that you have a soul, and that your your soul is only half of a soul, and that when you recognize and embrace your own spirituality, you can recognize and embrace the fact that there's another half of yourself that completes you. Abuse, there's no room for. No excuse for abuse, but there's always a way to figure it out forward, as long as there's no abuse.
0: Oh, my gosh. Over 50%. Yeah, I was going to say 50%. It might even be, I think it's 70 Oh, no, I'm scared to see. Yeah, okay. Actually, I'm scared that. to see. 44. Oh, okay, 44.
1: 44. Okay. 44.2, sounds pretty close. About 10% of, of Orthodox Jews. Wow. Why is the, the observant Jewish community getting divorced at... remarkably
0: uh, lower rate
1: at 1 out of 10 as opposed to the uh, national average which is almost at 50% I think that it's a known fact that successful intimacy I'm not talking about sexuality right now but successful intimacy is very much dependent on a shared spirituality when you have values that you share and a higher higher power that you turn to, that has a profound impact on our ability to relate and to love our spouses. It's a known fact in intimacy. So I think right there, you've got a very profound influencer as to the retention of more observant Jewish marriages. Also, on the flip side, I think on a social aspect, I think it's a lot less acceptable for some reason to get divorced in uh, in observant jewish communities even though it's happening but it's also probably got something to do with the fact that they have shared kids in common they have a lot more kids to, to well not necessarily stay in the for.
0: first year but i think there are also um i think it's it's a mindset that um in the in a, in a religious any any type of religion really religious community um there is a there is an importance a value that's put on marriage, as opposed to in the secular society where there really isn't as much as a value. And I think that um, for a lot of the observant community, for a lot of the religious community, they also have role models. Um, it's very very unusual to find, um, you know, a divorced couple for a lot of these young generation to have divorced parents or their grandparents is is you know is less likely there are so many and even if they have even if their parents might be but they have so many role models they see so Positive many successful marriages
1: around them. that
0: and the emphasis on marriage and really jewish life in general is centered around the family the family is such an integral integral part
1: people think of that the J- judaism centers around the synagogue but that's actually just one or maybe five out of 613 commandments. The vast and overwhelming majority of the Torah commandments of the Torah surround not the synagogue, but the kitchen table, surround the Jewish bedroom, and surround the Jewish dining room and living room. It's the about home. the couple. It's about the it's home. It's about the home. You know, another interesting factor I just want to point, point, point out is the importance of family purity and its profound influence on maintaining. and and deepening intimacy within Jewish couples, uh, within observant Jewish families. You see, as long as you can experience intimacy and sexuality whenever and however you want, I think that even within a marriage, it loses its specialness. Is that a word? Specialty? Specialness? I don't know. It loses its allure somewhat. That's a good word. But when it comes to family purity, where for two weeks a month, husband and wife don't even touch. After two weeks of not touching, a mere stroke of the finger on the back of a hand is extremely exciting and infuses electricity into the relationship. I think that plays a key factor into maintenance of the lifespan of marriage. My wife says that those people that kiss in public fight behind closed doors
0: <laughs> the more you know you can always see you can always tell on facebook who is In not trouble. doing too well because the more explicit the photos are you just know i always i always say like okay this one's on the rocks this is not doing well um and when maybe that isn't when, so fair
1: when you've got a lot of money you don't need to go around telling the whole world how much money you have When you don't have money, that's when you need to go tell everybody how much harried you are. When you have brains, you don't need to go tell everybody how smart you are. You just are smart. But if you're not smart, then you need to tell everybody. When you're in love, you don't need to flaunt it. It's something which you cherish and appreciate in a safe and intimate space. But if you're not really experiencing that kind of a wholesome relationship, then maybe you do need to flaunt it and share it in public in order to make sure that everybody else knows that, they, that you have what you don't really have. Intimacy is sacred. In- intimacy is special. You don't walk around telling everybody what's inside of your bank account because it's special. So why would you walk around telling everybody what's inside of your bedroom or inside of your most intimate aspects of your life? Observant Jewish couples cherish their sexuality. We cherish our intimacy. We keep it in a sacred space, let the whole world wander. That's (laughs) what keeps it so magical. One thing that every husband in the world needs to hear. There's nothing more beautiful than a wholesome family. As a rabbi, I've spent much time with people on their deathbeds. And I've asked them, what are they most proud of? I ask every person, what are you most proud of? I've never heard someone tell me that he's most proud of his job. He's most proud of the deals that he made, the business that he built, or the real estate that he acquired. Every single time, whether they are in touch with their children or even those estranged from their children, will tell me on their deathbed that they are most proud of their children. There is no greater investment that you can make upon this earth, no prouder achievement than building a family. To build your family takes wisdom, humility, courage. It takes God's divine grace to lead you and guide you with prayer and with courage and with wisdom and with humility. You can build a beautiful, loving relationship with your spouse. Give birth to beautiful children and raise your family to the purpose for which you are here upon this earth. In the Hollywood stereotype, it it portrays um, observer Jewish couples as somehow coerced into having large families and uh, d- delegating the wife to be pregnant barefoot and in the kitchen without any prospects for a career or any aspirations of her own. It's all about codependency upon their children. It's about codependency upon their own communities. And there's nothing further than the truth. My wife likes to say that we have many children, not because we have to, but because we want to. People turn to me and Mike in our community and they say, Rabbi, leave her alone, have mercy upon her, give her a break.
0: That's my pet peeve. As if somehow it's my fault. (laughs) I'm like in 2022, Do you think I'm just some opinionless uh, object in all of this? Like, really? Like, do you really think like I have no no say in the matter? Like, just let this happen to me.
1: (laughs) We have our children because we love them. We cherish them. We admire them. And we're so proud of them. To our children, we have unconditional love. The way they are is exactly the way that we embrace and cherish them. And if we can channel that same kind of unconditional love to our spouses, instead of judging them with a critical eye, but to say, this is what I've got. This is the gift that was given to me by God, and I'm going to make the absolute best of it with unconditional love, barring no excuse for abuse. And imagine if you could channel that same unconditional love to your fellow Jew. To be able to say that this person was sent into my life as a neighbor, as a fellow Jew, as a colleague, and I have to love them with the same unconditional love that I love my child. Wow, what a beautiful world we would live in. It's no big deal to have faith in God when times are good. It's when times are tough and you gotta hold on for dear life, that's when you need to have faith. In the same vein, it's no big deal to love your spouse when things are amazing. It's when times are tough and you're not feeling the magic, that's when you need to show your true emotion. That's when you need to truly experience the commitment, the unconditional commitment of love. Anything which is alive is constantly in motion.